Hey, thank you, church family. Good morning. How are you doing today? Oh, it was beautiful to get up this morning, wasn't it? Feel the Christmas of the air and know that we were going to have the opportunity to gather together and to worship. I appreciate Pastor Adam and his warm words. And yes, today's sermon is something that's been 63 years in the making. So I would just say sit back and relax because we could be here a while, Jeff. I don't know, you know. Um, I do want to share with you that my seminary pastor, uh, professor said that the best sermon is 17 and a half minutes long. So I probably won't honor that today, but hopefully I will honor something close to that. So uh, I hope that you enjoy our time uh, together. Uh, Now, when I used to preach back in Alexander City, Doc Jordan would sit right here on the front row, and Doc Jordan used to tell me it's a boy in the nicest way. He said, you got three minutes. And three minutes into the sermon, Doc Jordan would either do this or Doc Jordan would do this. This means Doc Jordan was turning up his hearing aid so he could hear me to listen, and this means that Doc Jordan was going to sleep. So I'm going to be looking for you today, whether you're giving me the Doc Jordan, I'm going to listen to you today, or, hey, buddy, I'm going to take a nap for the next 15 or 20 minutes. I do want to introduce myself as the discipleship pastor, and I've been here, like Adam said, almost six months now, and I serve in a role of leading the discipleship ministries of the church which means specifically that I work with community groups, I have an opportunity to work with DOU, and I work with men's ministry. I also have the opportunity of working with an outstanding team of leaders in our next gen and our generations and our gender-based ministries. So I work with all of our next gen leaders in preschool, children, and student discipleship, work with Courtney and women's ministry, and have the opportunity to help lead that team to make disciples. Now, I want to kind of show you just a quick picture. This is my family, and you haven't had an opportunity to meet them, but my lovely wife, Melinda's here, and you have met her. But we have five children, Kristen, Megan, Matthew, Michael, and John. Some of you may uh, remember them. Reggie, we were just talking about all these kids went to Spain Park, and so they're all kids from Spain Park. They all went to Auburn. Uh, The kids live in the Nashville area, the Atlanta area, and here in Birmingham. Now, here's the money slide, uh, and I get to do this if you ask me to preach. The money slide is the grandchildren, and yes, I have five. Melinda and I have five, and you will notice Celie Ruth, and you'll see Hannah Jo, who celebrated her birthday yesterday. You'll also see Ben, Wendell, and Caleb, our grandsons. So this is kind of us, and what I love about this picture is they're always smiling. This is kind of typical of the Layton family, is the fact that we love life and we love each other. Now, if you've been around me very long, you'll know that Melinda and I's story kind of took a a hard turn when we were in our 30s. And although I'm not going to unpack all of that today, many of you have heard the story, but both Melinda and I lost spouses to cancer in our young 30s. My first wife, Lois, died of metastatic breast cancer, and her husband, Dr. Stephen Davis, who was an OBGYN here in Birmingham, died of leukemia. So it's been 25 years ago that we blended our family and that we came together to blend a family, to raise children, and to serve the Lord. But here's the thing, church family, that I want you to hear today. Our story is not about cancer. Our story is about Christ. And our story is about Christ's call on our lives to be and to make disciples with Him. And so today, I'm going to talk to you about the things that are important in my life. 
and hopefully important in your life. And that is how we move toward Christ's likeness, how we move to be like Jesus. My discipleship story actually began when I was two weeks old, and at two weeks old, my mother carried me to the church for the very first time. Believe it or not, I was just a little one, and I know we don't tend to do that today, but mother believed in church, and I had a godly mother and a grandmother, and boy, it made an indelible impact in my life to have a godly mother who loved me so much that she carried me to church every Sunday. So much so, and she loved the church, and we loved the church so much so that literally for eight years, we didn't miss a Sunday. If the doors were open, we were at church. We were there, and, and I loved the church. As a little boy, I loved being in church. I loved being in Sunday school. I loved singing songs of worship. I loved the church family. And here's the thing, church family, I still love the church. I love it when we gather. I love it when we sing. I love it when we worship. I love it when we study together. I love it when we serve together because that's who we are as Christ followers, believing and following Jesus and walking in his past. Now, I want to show you a picture. This is my first grade Sunday school teacher. And when we talk about discipleship, this lady, Miss Camilla Davis, had a strong impact on my life. Miss Davis, again, was my first grade Sunday school teacher, and Miss Davis taught me that God loved me and that God had a plan and a purpose for my life. Miss Davis taught me to love God's Word and to read it on a regular basis, and Miss Davis taught me how to pray. Miss Davis taught me how to be kind, and Miss Davis also taught me that I ought to love other people just as God loved me. Now, you see the little pen there, that's the seven year mark of the pen. And now it hangs in my office at home, and it's eight years. And here's the story of how Miss Davis made such a strong impact in my life. You see, when I was six years old, the same thing happens to me that happens to a lot of little boys and girls, and I got chicken pox. And so at six years old, I have chicken pox, and man, my pen is in jeopardy. At that point, I've got to be honest and tell you, Bob, I wasn't thinking about how much I love church. I was thinking about, uh-oh, I'm about to not get the rest of my bars on my perfect attendance pen. That day, I remember literally as a six-year-old boy, and Jeff, I remember running out the front door of the house, barefooted, running to church over at Robin Wood Baptist, and I was going to church. It did not matter that I had chicken pox. I remember mom walking out on the front porch and my mother yelling down the street, Steve, you can't go to church today. You've got chicken pox. And I literally to this day remember crying and screaming and hollering at mother and saying, Mother, I've got to go to church today. You know, I love God. I love church. I love Miss Davis. And I want to go see my friends. Mom went in the house and she picked up the pea green telephone and she called the church to tell them what was going on. We were kind of poor growing up. You folks that were rich know y'all had harvest gold phones. We had pea green. We couldn't afford the harvest gold ones. So anyway, but she picked up that pea green phone and she pushed the buttons. Oh, I know that's different young people, but they hung on the wall and you push buttons on it. She called the church and Miss Davis told my mother, she said, you tell Steve just to wait there. I'll be there in just a few minutes. And so mom hollers down the street. I can just imagine what the neighbors are thinking. Well, I guess it wasn't that unusual for mom to holler down the street. But mom hollers down the street, Steve, Miss Davis has come to see you. And I went back to the house, and I never will forget, sitting on that old front porch swing at 208 3rd Street, Robinwood, right over near Tarrant, Alabama, 
waiting on Miss Davis. Soon, my first grade Sunday school teacher showed up at our house. She pulled up in the driveway and walked on the porch, and Miss Davis came down and sat down beside me. My first grade Sunday school teacher opened my Sunday school book that day, and she taught me from God's Word. And one of the proudest moments of my life was when my first grade Sunday school teacher took the role. You remember, teachers, the white ones with a little curved red circle on it? And she opened it up to my name, and she wrote a P by my name for being present. I've got to tell you that that day changed my life. And here, as a man of 63 years old, I still remember the day Miss Davis sat on the front porch with me. And she told me and taught me how much God loved me. Word began to spread throughout our church, and soon the pastor came, and Miss Davis moved over to the little rocker, and our pastor sat down beside me, and he told me that morning what he preached about. And that day, I knew that God loved me. And that day, I knew that the church had a plan for me. You see, here's the thing, church family. When we think about discipleship, sometimes we make it hard, and we think, I don't know enough scripture. I can't serve. I can't do. I can't uh, be a disciple or a maturing disciple of Christ. And I want to tell you that Miss Davis proved that sometimes being a disciple of Jesus, all it means is that we're willing to do what we can do for the kingdom. Sometimes it literally means that we're willing to get in our car and drive over to a little six-year-old boy's house who has chicken pox and teach him a Sunday school lesson and literally just let him know that he is special to God. Now, Miss Davis, like many of my teachers, taught me a lot, and I've had some great teachers that have impacted my life over the year. Pastors, teachers, authors, and book writers. But here's the thing about all these teachers. All the great teachers in my life were people that knew their why. They understood who they were as a Christ follower, and they lived it out every day where they live, where they work, where they worship, and where they play. You see, when you think about these great teachers who knew their why, I want you to think about some things about our why and your why. Why are you here? Why did you profess Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Why are you a part of the community group? Why do you pick up your Bible each morning? That is the discipleship question before us today. Now, comedian Michael Jr. says, when you know your why, your what has more impact because you are walking in it or walking toward your purpose. If we understand what our why is and what God's called us to do, then we'll begin to move toward that in our life. One of my friends, Michael Hyatt from Nashville, says, when you know your why, you'll know your way. Because when you know your why, you begin to move toward that. And Viktor Frankl, who you may know, neurologist, psychologist, um, and a writer, author, and a Holocaust survivor says, when you know your why, you can endure anyhow. So I want to talk to you about your why and your why of discipleship, because knowing and living out your why is foundational for you as a Christ follower. It is who you are. It is who God made you to be. When you know your why, why you are doing, you have purpose in your life. You have direction in your life. You have courage in your life to be able to do the things that God is calling to you, you to do in your life. When you know your why, you remain centered on the gospel. You remain transformational, meaning that you want to grow in Christ, and you remain missional-minded. 
because your why will teach you that it's bigger than us and that God has a very special plan. When you know your why, you know your identity and your purpose and your significance. Now, I want to talk to you about that for just a second, and I want to read from Ephesians. This is Ephesians chapter 2, and I'm going to start, if you'll open your Bibles and want to kind of jump over there. This will be one of several passages that I'm going to jump to today. But when we look at Ephesians chapter 2, we see our why, and we'll begin reading in verse 8. In verse 8, it says, For by grace have you been saved through faith. When we talk about our identity and who we are, many times people will begin to say, well, I'm a grandfather, I'm a father, I'm a husband, I'm a teacher, I'm a doctor, I'm a lawyer, I'm a nurse. But our why is found in this verse in Ephesians 2.8, for by grace have you been saved through faith. You see, our identity as Christ followers is in Jesus Christ. So as a disciple of him, First and foremost, Jesus Christ has to be number one in our life. And this is not by your own doing, for it is a gift of God. You see, our discipleship journey toward Jesus is God's gift to us. And he says, I want to give you a gift of being like me. I want you to grow. I want you to learn. I want you to mature. I want you to be in community. I want you to serve so that you in turn can grow to be like me. It's not of works, so none of us can boast. It's not something that we earn or we deserve. It's something that God has given to us. And then God tells us our purpose as Christ followers. Here, uh, the apostle says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. When we think about who we are as a disciple of Jesus, we are reminded that God has a plan and a purpose for your life as he does mine. And even before you were born, before the foundation of this world, God knew, and God, and he knew you, and he had a plan for you, a purpose for you. Friends, I want to tell you, when you know your why, you know your purpose. And when you walk in it, you will know your way, and you will have courage to do whatever comes your way passage goes on to say, therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at a time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of the promise, having no hope without God in the world. When we read and we think about who we are as disciples of Christ, the apostle says, remember who you were. Remember what your life was before you knew me. And friend, this week and almost every week, I try to sit down and say, Father, what if I hadn't known you? What if my mother hadn't carried me to church? What if I didn't have that opportunity to serve you all the days of my life? But now, in Christ Jesus, you once who were far off from him have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Oh, my friends, when we think about that we were once far away from God, but now as disciples of him, because of Jesus, because we have put our faith and our trust in him, he has brought us near. And I don't know how that makes you feel, church family, but when I think about the fact that I was a sinner, and even though I was raised in church, I was separated from God, and God has now brought me near to him, God wants to bring peace in my life, and he wants to help me live for him. And look at what he says about our significance. He says, 
So you are no longer strangers. You are no longer aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God being built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and of Christ Jesus. You think about what that verse is saying to you. We read the stories in the Bible about the disciples, the apostles, the prophets, and about Jesus himself. And the Apostle Paul says that you, as a Christ follower, are built into that same foundation. That God, what he was building on them, he is building on you. And the church that he was building in Acts chapter 2, he is building today in Birmingham, Alabama, in Mount Laurel. And we are part of that church, that church universal. And that God has a plan for us. And that God has a purpose for us. You see, friends, knowing your why and living it out is the driving force behind everything we do as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so I want to remind you and ask you and challenge you today just to think for a minute about your why. Now, my why actually began when I was 10 years old. And I want you to know at 10, I asked Jesus to come into my heart. Although I'd been raised at church, I realized that I needed a Savior. And I confessed with my mouth and believed in my heart that Jesus is Lord and that God had raised him from the dead. And when we do that, then God comes into our lives and he saves us and he makes us a new creation. At age 16, God called me into the ministry and I understood that call. And at age 26, my first wife, she asked me, and I never will forget I was working for the Burger King. And I never will forget one Sunday night when she said, when are we going to do what God called us to do? Oh, the power of a godly wife, women. And when you think about that, and she realized that God had a special call on my life and she had been just waiting. She said to me, and I'll never forget that day, friends, when she looked me in the eye sitting there at our home in Fultondale, Alabama. And she said, Steve, don't you know that when God called you into ministry, he called me also? And so many times we think about our pastors and that God calls them into the ministry. But God also calls our spouses to be with us and to serve. And he called her. And boy, it really meant the world. That night I committed my life to follow him. And soon I resigned from Burger King. And I went to work for the King of Kings over at First Baptist Church. And yeah, I think it's kind of corny too. But it it gets a smile every now and then. Um, So I went to work for... For, for Jesus, and I served. In my mid-30s, I told you that my first wife, uh, Lois, passed away. And when Lois passed away, I experienced a crisis. If you looked at the pictures right there at the beginning, you saw Melinda and I's wedding picture, and there were some little boys and girls there, elementary school age, and all these children, that's when they lost, uh, just prior to, lost their mom, or they had lost their father. I was at a crisis, and Literally, I needed to know what God wanted me to do with the rest of my life. And so we went down to a retreat center, which is no longer here. But if you go past 41 to the next left and take a left, there's Highway 43. Some of you may live down 43. And if you scoot down 43, 10 or 12 miles and hang a right, there's a little community now, which used to be a retreat center called the Twin Pines Retreat Center. There at the Twin Pines Retreat Center, we were there, and I was literally at one of the lowest points in my life. And I was in a room that had a cupola, and it was storming outside. And as it stormed outside, that was nothing compared to what was going on in my life because I knew that although I had committed my life to Jesus, and that wasn't at doubt, 
I was about to leave the ministry. I had every plan to get up the next morning and go and, and tell the pastor, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I'm through. I've given my best to the Lord, and surely God will understand that. That night in that room with the lightning going on outside and me in the, that little room praying, God kind of spoke to my heart. Not in the same way that I'm speaking to you, but in a way I knew without a shot of a doubt what God wanted me to do with the rest of my life. That night, Jesus told me, Steve, I want you to equip and encourage people on their journey toward Christ-likeness. And that's why I'm here. I want to equip you as a church family to move toward Christ-likeness. And I want to encourage you. So folks ask, Steve, is that smile on your face all the time? Absolutely. Because I want to be an encourager in your life. People ask me, Steve, it seems like you're always teaching. And it's the truth. Because I want to equip you and I want to encourage you that you can be like Jesus because that's the greatest blessing in all the world. God kind of helped me simplify that over the years. And I say he helped me learn to love God, to make disciples, and to live sin. So if you think about that, I understand my why. To equip and encourage people to be like Christ. To love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength and to live sin. Now, I realize soon that my why is not just my why. My why is our why, because that's what God calls you to do as a disciple of Jesus, to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, to make other disciples alongside him, and to live sin, to live your life on purpose outside who you are. A few years later, I drew this little graphic, and you'll kind of see that night, and it reminds us all that we are disciples of Jesus. And this diagram reminds us of who we are, that our why is found in Matthew 22, verses 37. That is a passage that we all know as the great uh, commandment. In Matthew 28, starting around verse 19, we read a passage called the Great Commission. And in Ephesians 4, a passage which Pastor Adam preached on not too long ago, reminds us of the great call on our life. You see, simply, as disciples of Jesus, God calls you and he calls me to love him with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength. He tells us in Matthew 28 that as a disciple of Jesus, our goal is to go and to make disciples and to teach them what we know about Jesus and to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he reminds us in Ephesians chapter 4 when he lists all the gifts of the church. He says to us, he says, I give you these gifts for two purposes, and that is to build up the body of Christ and to equip the saints. Now, I want to read these passages of Scripture to you, and I hope that you'll take time to study them and to look at them over the next uh, few days and weeks. But the great commandment says, and Jesus said to you, you shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the great and it is the first commandment. And then the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. On these two commandments depend or hang all the law and the prophets. And when you think about that, I love this word hang because back in the Old Testament, there were like 613 promises, I mean, uh, promises and laws and rules and regulations and things that you had to do as a part of church. When the lawyer asked Jesus, he said, Jesus, what's the greatest of all these 613 commandments? You know what Jesus said? He begins cutting the cords and he leaves two. 
He said, love me with all you are. Be faithful to me. Follow me. Believe and trust in me. And love your neighbor in the same way. And Jesus leaves hanging in our lives two challenges, two commissions, two promises for us. In Matthew 28, he says, Go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. I want you to look at what that says. Teach them all that I've commanded you. And here's the expectation, friends. You think about that story with Miss Davis. So many times we say we don't know enough to be a teacher or be a disciple. But you are a teacher. You realize your walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks? That's a mouthful. I can tell you my better sermon, too. My favorite poem, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I'd rather one should walk with me than merely tell the way. I's a better teacher than the ear, the things we do, the things we say, teach. So we are teachers. What Jesus tells us to do is to teach the things you know about me. And I will be with you to the very end of the age. And here's the passage on the great call. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And then he tells us what the outcome of that is. Now, one of the important questions when you ask a discipleship guy is what a disciple is. is how do we define a disciple? And I want to kind of give you a definition. Men, by, as a matter of fact, at our men's ministry dinner that David was talking about earlier, we're going to talk about this very thing. How do we define a disciple? And where are we in our journey toward Christ-likeness? And what are the characteristics of a disciple that would be in your life? I want to give you a very simple definition. It's found in Matthew verses 419 and Mark 117. In these two verses, Jesus is calling his disciples to come and follow him. When you think about this passage, Jesus says, I want you to follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So a disciple of Jesus first believes and follows Jesus. So you may say, well, Steve, how will I know if I'm a disciple of Jesus? And the first step is, have you put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ? Do you believe him? Have you confessed him as your Lord and Savior? And I want to say, if you haven't done that, the Bible tells us today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that we need to believe and we need to confess and we need to follow Jesus. Following is not just to say, well, I'm going to go to church or I'm going to be a part of a community group. Following means we're going to live our life every day as Jesus lived his life. Not only are we going to believe and follow Jesus, we're going to be changed by Jesus and we're going to live on mission with Jesus. Now, I want to share this with you really quick because this is how we grow. And I realize that as a Christ follower, we don't grow in a straight line. As a matter of fact, it's kind of like a, a crazy graph that goes up and down and our life is full of peaks and valleys. But all of us are at one of these places or at some point on a continuum in our spiritual journey. In that spiritual journey, many of us are at that exploring Christ phase. And in each of these phases, Jesus gives an invitation. First off, when we look at this John 1, 39 passage, Jesus invites us to come and see. This is when Andrew and was talking to Jesus and his brother Peter was there. And, and he says, hey, Jesus, where are you staying? And Jesus said, come and see. 
So they got up and they went with Jesus to see where he was living, where he was staying, and they spent the day with Jesus. You see, many of us are in the exploring Christ stage, and that's okay. It means that we have an awareness that there is a God who loves us and has a plan and purpose for us, and we are exploring that. And if you're in that phase, I've got good news, and I have good news, and that is God loves you and has a plan and purpose for your life. But when we follow Jesus, when we accept him, we move to the growing in Christ stage. The invitation there is in Mark chapter 3, and in that Mark chapter 3, Jesus calls us to be with him. That's kind of it. it is, Jesus said they've already followed him, and we began to realize, well, I want to follow Jesus. I've professed him as my Lord and Savior, and I'm going to spend time with him. As a disciple of Jesus, that means that we spend time getting to know him in his word, through uh, uh, prayer, with our family and our friends, talking about the things of God, learning by serving other people. As we continue to grow in Christ, we move close to Christ. And as we get close to Christ, this is the follow me passage, and I will make you. And it's a passage that reminds us that God is transforming us and changing us and making us into something new. And then we become Christ-centered. Now, I want you to understand that we never reach that point of full maturity as a disciple. I am continuing to grow. But what happens is, as Pastor Adam taught us, we move from the valley of sin to where we abide in Christ. Remember the sermon? And then we begin to obey Him. And what did we find over here? You remember that from back in January? I was watching it online. Great joy. And so what happens is, is Christ-centered people abide and obey Christ. Now, here are these passages. I'm going to skip through them, and I want to kind of tell you that our discipleship model here at the church is based off of Acts 2, 42 through 47. In this passage, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were in it together, and they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belonging and distributing the proceeds to all as anybody had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking a bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Praising God, having favor with the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So when I think about this passage, this is a a little drawing that I've been sharing with our church family recently that kind of sums up the things that I've shared with you today. In the very center is a symbol that reminds us that as Christ followers, we're to be disciples of Jesus. And that symbol reminds us of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And that God calls us to believe and to follow him. In the outside of the um, diagram, of the Venn diagram, you will see a definition of a disciple. A disciple of Jesus believes and follows Jesus. A disciple of Jesus is being changed by Jesus, being formed, conformed, transformed, or some of the biblical words used. The old man being put away, the new man being put on. So Jesus is at work transforming us and helping us to be more like him. And a disciple of Jesus lives on mission with Jesus. Living outside ourselves, telling others about God, 
Being not only a disciple, but being a disciple maker. You'll notice in the between marks, there's some things that disciples of Jesus do. And we share the good news. We explore Christ. We connect. We grow. We multiply. And we serve. And then if you look on the outside of this diagram, you'll see kind of the four characteristics of the early New Testament church from Acts chapter 2, the passage that I just read. They devoted themselves to the prayer. So here at Double Oak, we want to be a church about prayer and ministry. And right back there, starting next week, we have a new prayer ministry. Not only are some of you praying for me right now, but next week you'll be able to go right there and talk to members of our church family about prayer. They devoted themselves to fellowship and to the breaking of bread. They did life together. They, like us, valued community. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And the early church, just like us, devoted themselves to maturity and growing in Christ. And what happened? God added to the church daily those who were being saved. Now, here's the deal. They did these things, and I ask, why did God save thousands of people in that day? And I think here's the, word, the reason. Look at the word. They devoted themselves to prayer. They devoted themselves to fellowship. They devoted themselves to the apostle teacher. You see, those early believers, those early Christians, devoted themselves to God. Simply put, the early church knew its why, and every member in it knew their why, and they devoted themselves to that why to be and to make disciples of Jesus. Now, I want to kind of wind up here and tell you a little bit about how we do that at Double Oak. We value maturity, community, and charity. You'll hear some other words if you're new to our church family, like Christ-centered, Christ-connected, and Christ-commissioned. You'll also hear us talk about connecting people to Christ, community, and the commission. I like to say we are disciples of Jesus making disciples with Jesus. And that's who we simply are in our group life discipleship ministry. When you think about how we make disciples here, the tip of the spear is what happens in this room through our preaching and through our group life ministries, which are all of our discipleship and missional ministry. So when you think about group life, we have community groups which meet now on Sunday mornings, and they meet at 8 o'clock. I see one of our 8 o'clock teachers here, and they meet at 9, and they meet at 1045. They have all three of our church values and purposes there, community, maturity, and uh, uh, charity. We'll have also Double Oak University, which meets on Wednesday night. Double Oak University is about going deeper. And so this is about maturity. I want to show you these spiritual foundations because many of you wonder, do we have a plan and purpose for the classes we teach in Double Oak? And we do. We choose our classes based off of these seven foundations or things that Christ followers need in their life. We have gender-based ministries. Courtney's sitting right here on the front. And if you'd like to know more about women's ministry, come and meet Courtney or she'll be out at the Connection Center and talk to her. And God's blessing the women in our church. I look across the room and our men are gathering and we're planning and we're coming together on the 22nd because we want to use our gender-based men's ministry to focus and grow disciples. And we have excellent next-generation ministries for our preschool and our children. Now, I'm going to close with this little illustration or this scripture. Remember I talked to you about that call in my life and the great call for us to equip the saints and build up the body of Christ? 
Look at what that looks like. And we see a picture of that in Ephesians 4.13. Until they all attain unity of the faith. Can you imagine what the church family will be when we walk together in unity of the faith and of the knowledge of Son of God when we know Christ. And I'm not talking know about God. I'm talking about when you know Him as you know yourself and as you know your spouse. And to a mature manhood, as we continue to grow, as we continue to mature in Him, to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. Now, that word fullness means this. Last night, Melinda and I went and tried out a new Italian restaurant. And thanks, Courtney, by the way. It was a recommendation of, of you and Rob. And uh, we tried this restaurant out, and it was delicious. And when I was through eating the, the dinner, the waitress said, uh, would you like dessert? And I go, I couldn't eat a thing. I am so full. I have no room. I was full. And it hit me. When is the last time that we as followers of Jesus have been so full of Jesus there's no room in our life for anything else? That's the fullness of Christ. That's the maturity that we're working for as a disciple. That's the goal of where we're going. Now I want to close and I'm going to ask uh, our musicians will be coming in just a second to lead us and Dave and I'm going to pray. But I want to ask you just to think about some powerful questions. If you want to, you can bow your head and think about these. You can think about them through the week. But I'm going to ask you eight questions for you to take home. And this kind of will wrap up my time with you this morning. Number one, how are you being changed by Jesus? How are you being formed, conformed, and transformed into the image of Christ? How are you being discipled? And who's discipling you? Who's investing in you? And importantly, Who are you discipling? Who are you pouring your life in? Is it your children, your spouse, people at work? I want to ask you, when and where are you experiencing life-giving community? Is it happening just in this room? Or are you a part of a community group or a men's group or a women's group? Or are you part of a study group or a prayer group in your community at work? I want to ask you, who are the lost people in your life that you're praying for? And not only praying for, but you're having gospel conversations with. And he goes, Steve, I don't think about that very much. People need the Lord. And I want to encourage you to say, God, who is it that I need to be praying for? I want to ask you, where are you serving? What's breaking your heart in this world? And what are you doing about it? Do you see hunger like Jim and Linda over here? And you say, I'm going to make a difference. And I'm so proud of you and the way y'all have stepped up. But do each of us see what's breaking our heart and are doing so much? When have we placed ourselves in God's path and allowing Him to transform us? I love the next question. How have you honored God and your spouse or your parents with your thoughts, words, and actions this week? And finally... What practical steps are you willing to take this week to grow in Christ's likeness? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm thankful for the day to share with our church family. And I'm thankful, Father, for the way that they've loved and welcomed Melinda and I in. And I'm thankful for the way that you've been teaching me, Father, how to grow to be more like you. So, Father, I pray that you will find us as a church faithful. And in this moment of response, may we respond to one of those questions, Father, that we just heard. I just pray that you be with us and you lead us and guide us. Help us to know and follow you. Help us to be a church of disciples that are disciple makers. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.